Mr. David X. Hey there. How are you? Oh, I'm ready to go home. Yeah, I'll bet you're ready to go. You've been in D.C. all week, right? Yeah, yeah. It all started off uh, Sunday night. I get a call about midnight telling me that my flight at 6.30 a.m. is canceled. And I had a, a 9 a.m. Uh, meeting uh, in oh, no. D.C. Yeah. So spending the whole time, you know, I spent a half hour with the U.S. Airways getting reconfigured and everything. And I ended up only being an hour late after going from a direct flight to D.C. to connecting through Charlotte. So oh, and, wow. and with, you know, Charlotte, other end of the airport with a 40-minute connection. So I'm like O.J. Simpson running through the airport. And I, <laughs> I got like two hours of sleep. And then I'm at the hotel, which is by the Tyson's office. And, you know, it's like I, I really miss being with the Hilton profile, I could say, away from the elevator. Um, because I got all week long, uh, from Monday night to Thursday night, I got to hear the elevator go up and down. And, and there were like three elevator shafts. So it's like all night long, up and down. And it was like rattly, like elevators. And it's, oh, it's terrible. So I'm I was ready to say, I actually, I, I actually enjoy being next to the elevator. It's a little bit like, uh, it's a, it's a little bit like being next to the ocean. Yes, if it was an elevator. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I didn't enjoy. It, it was like, it, it was like clanging and smacking around, and ugh, it wasn't wasn't fun. No, sorry about that. Sorry about yeah. that. Um, so you, you had a better week, I think. I did have a better week. I uh, well, I got it for a bunch of reasons. Um, but actually, the highlight of my week was discovering uh, the Internet Archive uh, mm -hmm. just released a whole bunch of video games, um, and for many different consoles, right? So I remember I had uh, you know, so there's like a ColecoVision which I coveted. Uh, I remember my friend Dean when I was twelve or something, like he had a ColecoVision which made him like the coolest kid in the neighborhood. And so, anyway, uh, they released all these video games. Uh, but then, of course, the problem is how do you play them, right? Because uh, it's not like I got a ColecoVision lying around. So the Internet Archive fixed it up so that uh, they actually implemented a lot of these uh, a lot of these gaming consoles in mm -hmm. JavaScript. So you can mm -hmm. go into your browser and go play all the video games from your childhood, which is wonderful. I showed it to uh, I showed it to my darling wife, and the first thing out of her mouth was, "Do they have Burger Time?" <laughs> she said very seriously, and uh, she spent the next half hour playing Burger Time. And just like the real Burger Time, at the end of it, she uh, gave up in frustration and announced that the game cheats. So, ah, um, right. so, so, so you know, it's just like the real, yeah. just like the just like the real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, I did that too. I was I was uh, playing Pitfall. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So if you're in the mood for some uh, nostalgic gameplay, uh, the the Internet Archive has your number, uh, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. I've, you know what? There's. Um, I, I saw that a couple months ago, and I was showing Lauren. Um, you remember the game Adventure on the Ataris? Sure. Where, yeah. where you were the little like square, and then your your sword was like an arrow, and you had to go around. Like I showed her that, and she was just horrified. Like, yeah. she, she's like, it's like, like, like what you, this is how you lived, you know? And, and <laughs> <laughs> it, it, oh, I spent hours playing it. I love that game, but it was like, the graphics were just terrible and, and, but it was so much fun. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's a, um, so I also found another game from my childhood, which is a Taipan, which is like this trading game where you go around Asia trading opium and silk and stuff like anyway. Um, the graphics on that were not awesome, uh, but mm -hmm. even uh, last night successfully captured my imagination for like three hours. Um, 
it's just that's a testament to a good game um, is that even with just basic polygons uh, they can mm -hmm. uh, keep you enthralled it's great. yeah yeah all right so what are we what are we talking about this week Dave? Uh, the, the, we've got a lot of follow-up this week so we're, we're going to talk about encrypting everything mm -hmm. um, why it doesn't matter and mm -hmm. and why we're all Charlie Brown now wah, wah. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Um, so if uh, if folks want to uh, if folks want to play some video games uh, which what website should they go to Dave yeah they need to go to HTTPS dgshow.org so mm -hmm. D's and Dave G's and Gunner show.org right encrypted uh, even though it doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. You you don't want people knowing that you're listening to this. <laughs> none none of the government's business. Yeah. What was mm -hmm. it? Yeah, exactly. Um, on the cutting room floor, we got some great videos. Uh, so I found one, uh, which is this goofy video of a from a Lithuanian flight training operation uh, called mm -hmm. a Baltic Aviation, and. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a guy uh, with this thick Lithuanian accent um, coaching their head of marketing on how to land a Boeing 737. Um, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then you found this um, nihilistic German Charlie Brown video. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of like, I don't know, like Kafka-esque uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but instead of being animated, it has real people, and, and uh, it's, it's very German. Nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. Sehr gut. Okay, um, I'm stealing myself for disappointment, Dave. Let's, uh, let's head into the, uh, the follow-up here. So um, as if being disappointed in uh, the U.S. Uh, FBI uh, on their position on uh, encryption wasn't enough, uh, we now get to also be disappointed by the U.K., don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the... Uh, uh, GCHQ chief uh, Robert Hannigan he he declared that privacy has never been an absolute right. And technically, I guess that's true because in the in the in the UK it is not. Well, I guess and also true in the United States. It's actually, this is kind of the heart of the problem, right? Is that there is mm -hmm. no right to privacy. Yes, yes. I, I guess search and seizure. I guess uh, from a constitutional standpoint, but uh, right, right. But yeah, yeah. So, but uh, let's see, he did an article in the Financial Times, uh, he did an editorial suggesting that uh, technology companies are in denial over the use of, uh, over the internet's use uh, to facilitate murder and child abuse. My goodness. Yeah. He sounds like he's, uh, sounds like he's got the vapors. Sounds like he's uh, clutching yeah. his pearls. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh... It's crafty terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah, and he went on to say uh, that the public wouldn't mind if technology companies gave governments backdoor access either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know who he's talking to. I, I don't know which public he's talking about. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Uh, you know, actually, he may not be entirely wrong. I mean, given in the UK, um, you know, the, famously the closed circuit television cameras is like that has been normalized as a thing, right? Um, like, I don't think you can go through a square foot of London without being recorded. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that there, that the messages are getting coordinated, right? Um, mm -hmm. and actually this means that there is actually a powerful voice saying something opposite, right? Um, mm -hmm. they wouldn't feel the need to do editorials in the financial times if there weren't, um, uh, strong objections being aired wherever strong objections get aired. Uh, yeah. So. Good. Yeah, I don't know who's saying that because it seems like the public is squarely behind uh, his position. <laughs> right. 
Well, I suspect, well, you know, I suspect that the, you know, the public is, I think, neither here nor there on the problem in general. Um, yeah. But I do think that companies are, are actually leading the fight against this, right? Um, mm-hmm. You've got, you know, companies, especially like Google and Facebook, care a lot about this surveillance thing. Um, and they were very, very upset to find out that they had been hacked. Um, yeah. by, by, you know, NSA and GCHQ. Um, and that leads into the, the next thing I want to talk about, which is, uh, remember, oh, I guess a few months ago, we talked about Gmail announcing that they were going to offer end-to-end encryption. Yeah. Um, and so they have actually, I just found the code repo for that. Uh, oh. So up on, up on code.google.com, you can kind of watch the progress on that, uh, on that plugin, which is very, very cool. There's a big big warning flashing red light on the front of the project that says don't actually use this um, because it is not ready. Um, And, you know, when you're doing writing encryption software is really hard. Um, And then doing it in a browser, I think, is probably even harder. So um, I'm I'm inclined to believe them. Uh, But it's great that you can actually watch the progress and that it'll be uh, open, at least for now. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way it should be. should be. Stuff like that Mm -hmm. should be open. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you're a big uh, fan of uh, scorecards, right? I love scorecards. I love them. Yeah, yeah. So the the EFF just put one out for uh, uh, on the security of uh, like different messaging apps. It's really it is great, um, and it's it couldn't be more clear too. Um, mm-hmm. So what I love about scorecards is that is not just like being able to compare one thing against another, but the scorecard, the categories on the scorecard actually are communicate what's important and that's actually like the best function of a scorecard right um Mm -hmm. like because if there are uh if you're measuring the thing then it's like if you're measuring the thing then you are naturally announcing that that is an important thing to be looking at um and so Mm -hmm. uh that sounds kind of obvious or facile but um but you know when you're looking at a secure messaging system some people favor one feature over another when in fact there's a whole bunch of things you should be thinking about um and the scorecard really communicates that well uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep Great. Nice. And speaking of uh, more scorecards, there's uh, another site I saw. It's uh, privacygrade.org. I don't mm-hmm. know if you had a chance to, to take a look at that. Uh, no, I haven't, actually. I'm going to click through right now. Tell, uh, while while yeah. I'm uh, perusing it, why don't, you, why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so it's basically, um, you could almost think of it as instead of an app store, it's almost like a portal where you could look up an app and then get the privacy their privacy grade for that particular app and it and it not only is does it list the apps but it has the ones that are like doing really well and other ones that are in the doghouse and you know so for instance like fruit ninja got like a a d letter grade uh for you know just and and i think a lot of it is just uh being overly aggressive in terms of requesting more permissions than they really need Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. and then also third parties being able to access the app as well so um it's 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 pretty interesting there to see you know it's like uh, the the you know the how well your your apps are doing from a privacy standpoint like I've I've heard some crazy stuff like some flashlight apps are like just insane as far as the amount right. of of uh, data they want to collect and they want to know your GPS location it's like why yeah 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 well and and a lot of the you know it's fun a lot in a lot of these cases. Um, you know, a, a game asking for your GPS location, as an example, it's usually because the game actually doesn't care about your location, but the advertising inside the game cares deeply about your location. Yes. Um, and so all of those like advertiser requirements get surfaced inside, you know, Fruit Ninja. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Very interesting. Um, I see also that they've ranked apps with the most targeted ad libraries. 
Mm-hmm. Pretty clever. Um, you know, uh, and so what's interesting about this too is that the highest graded apps are the most popular apps they have on the site, and which you know, which all have A ratings. Uh, a lot of those are Google apps. Um, mm-hmm. And you would think that if somebody would care about privacy, they it's not just about the privacy of the application itself. It's also about all the stuff on the back end, right? Yes. Um, and so let, calling Gmail a triumph of privacy is probably... Yes, Well, that's true. suspect. That's, that's a, little bit, a little bit more complicated than that, right? Um, yeah, it, it depends on what you're measuring, right? Or, or you mm-hmm. know, or they may just be measuring the app, and maybe they're doing the right thing, but there are no ads on Gmail, um, in, inside the app. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I agree with you too. It's, it's the whole thing of like, they're not rating the service as a whole in terms of privacy. Right. Right. So a little bit, maybe a little bit misleading, but not quite as misleading as Verizon and AT&T, um, yeah. who should both be stuck in a barrel and burned alive as far as I can. I mean, I heard about this and it's just infuriating. Um, so I get annoyed when my cable provider hijacks my DNS connections and redirects me to their 404 page where they yes. put advertising on it. Right. That drives oh. me bananas. Um, and, uh, it looks, sounds like Verizon and AT&T have gone one step further, uh, with this like man in the middle attack. Uh, mm-hmm. so I don't know, Dave, can you, I can try and explain this, but I'm hoping that you read more about it than I did and can give a, a deeper explanation. Yeah, well, let me see if I how well I do. But okay. like, if you go to a website, uh, so I'm on my, let's say I'm on my uh, browser on my phone, and I, mm-hmm. I go to a website. I you know I talk to an Apache web server that obviously is running RHEL, right? Bessie mm-hmm. Linux sure. enforcing, and it's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I make the request to say, hey, give me a web page, um, not only am I requesting that web page, there may be other data that would be passed along uh, to help inform the web server of, of uh, you know, basically, oh, well, what type of browser are you using? Or is it a mobile thing? So that way you could render things differently based upon, um, oh, is it Internet Explorer 6? And I should, you know, render it in a certain way or a different way to, to have the best uh, viewing experience for the end user. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that, that you could do is you could also add extensions to the request. So, like... Um, and this is what's happening with, uh, with I guess I don't know where it happens. I guess it happens in the from the AT and T and the Verizon, like from a tower standpoint. So, if I have my browser up uh, on my cell phone, on say I'm connected to AT and T's network, I go to um, dgshow.org. Mm-hmm. Dgshow.org is going to say that oh, this and there's going to be this um, uh, this extension header that comes along that has this unique ID in it. And that unique ID would be like, you know, DG Show, since we don't do any advertising except for Sean Wells, um, (laughs) you know, that would just get ignored. But if um, for the the content sites that, you know, whether, you know, who knows, Wall Street Journal or whoever that's that's, uh, doing ad network content, um, they could actually take that unique identifier and then pay uh, AT&T to do content-relevant ads that are based upon the, the demographics of me as an AT&T subscriber because not only do they know my viewing habits of, of what I'm looking at when I'm connected to the AT&T network, um, they also know, you know my demographics in terms of you know, who I am and you know, where I live and, and all that other stuff. So they, they can have a pretty powerful way to provide um, context-relative uh, ads based upon uh, my demographics. Um, there's, by default, I know that with AT&T, 
and, and let's say, okay, so I do this on my cell phone uh, and I'm connected to the AT&T cellular network, that header will come across. If I do it on Wi-Fi and I'm not connected to AT&T's network, so same setup, all that, that header information will not make it um, to the DG Show website because AT&T isn't in the middle to insert that that header file, knowing that that uh, oh well, this is Dave's um, this is Dave's phone, so I'm going to add this extra header to it, um, mm -hmm. so it, it doesn't make it through. Um, but you know that's uh, yeah, so it's yeah, it's not cool. I I, I think. This could be related to something that I saw a while ago that I opted out of um, uh, on, on the AT&T website, but uh, I don't know if it's the same thing or not. But I think there's a way that you could turn it off, but you were opted in by default. Right, right. And, there, and there's a website where, where you can check and see you know, what's being injected by AT&T and Verizon. It's uh, amibeingtracked.com, which is obviously mm -hmm. named. Um, the So let's think through this. So... It, in other words, if I'm on my phone or on my tablet um, and I'm using AT&T or Verizon's network, they're going to uniquely identify me on behalf of advertisers, right? Um, whether they, whether the advertisers use it or not, um, the advertisers have the opportunity to match up this unique ID they've given me with uh, my subscriber information, right? Uh, which mm -hmm. is obviously very lucrative for Verizon and AT&T. I'm wondering if there are uh, kind of unforeseen security consequences to this. Um, so... It, what they've effectively done is de-anonymized you. Uh, so mm -hmm. if you're just visiting NewYorkTimes.com and you haven't logged in, you think that you're just browsing, you know, for yucks. Yep. Um, but yeah, in or fact, open in a private private window, you know. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're in incognito mode, it's still going to uniquely identify you, right? Um, yep. That just seems real dangerous and really intrusive. Not pleasant at all. Um, it also makes me think like how janky the cookie system is in the first place, right? Um, yeah. Like you know, the cookie was you know literally a hack. Um, yeah. Uh, that was you for know for good intentions. Know, yeah. yeah, yeah. We couldn't intentions for a twenty years old. You know, it's like a twenty year old way of keeping state um, yeah. in your interactions with a with a web server. But um, this like super cookie that you cannot turn off um, yeah. is uh, really obnoxious. Um, I just. I would well, love to see, I mean, I would love to see a world in which this was offered as something like I can imagine paying more to not have this. Right. Or in other mm -hmm. words, we will give we'll you a discount, a discount to turn it on. Exactly. Right. That I can see. Um, but just turning it on by default is, yeah, it's just obnoxious. Yeah. And, and to be clear too, this isn't a cookie that gets stored on your, on your computer. So if you blow away your, you know, you, you do, uh, like you blow away your cash and all your cookies and all that stuff, it, you can't delete it because it's it's associated with your actual device, um, mm -hmm. and it gets added on at the at the carrier level. Um, so it's not even like a, a like a cookie that lives on your computer that you can inspect. This is something that as you reach out to a website, this gets tacked on by AT and T as it as it flies through their network. Yep, yep. And so and think too about who's receiving this information and what they can do. Right. Uh, so as an example, if I'm Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I am receiving this cookie because my little Facebook button and my little Twitter buttons are peppered all over basically every web page on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. So if I visit six different websites, completely unrelated, not logged in, even if I turn cookies off, uh, those all six of those sites have a little Twitter, you know, lozenge on them or a little Facebook icon. Twitter and Facebook now are tracking my progress through the internet. They now know that I visited those six sites. Um, mm -hmm. 
that is that's actually the the that's actually the scary part, right? It's not the it's not the web pages themselves knowing uh, mm-hmm. where you've been. It's the advertising network behind them uh, that knows what they're doing, and then they take up and aggregate that information, correlate it with AT and T or Verizon subscriber data, and then sell it to basically whoever, right? Yes, because um, well, because that 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 end of the industry is completely unregulated, right? It's just like yeah. reams and reams and reams of user data correlated with demographics, um, mm-hmm. telling folks you know that. Uh, apparently I'm in uh, dire need of, of retirement planning. Um, cause that's, that's the punchline to all this, right? It's like, Oh, more personalized ads that are relevant to me. Okay. Well, you know, I don't care about retirement planning that much. Um, and I'm not buying an Apple watch. So, uh, <laughs> thanks. Anyway. Like, thanks anyway. Well, what about, well, the other thing is that, okay, so we're talking about advertisement here, but you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned unintended consequences. What if it was a repressive state or a state owned telecom that's injecting this stuff in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's right. Um, yes. And and I'm sure that's I'm sure they do exactly that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I know, they probably pioneered the technology. Um, yeah. Because the and, the because the threat profile of AT and T and advertising networks is basically identical to the threat model of like an oppressive regime, right? It's yes. like from the end user <laughs> point of view, like it's exactly the same problem. Yeah. Your call is very important to us. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and, and the other thing too is that since it's not a cookie or something blockable, like things like AdBlock or any of the, the like no script or any of that stuff, you, it's it's impervious to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, so like, and H- and using HTTPS doesn't help. Um, I presume that using Tor may no, not even that would help. Well, maybe it no. would help. Well, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I actually don't know how to mitigate that problem. Like if somebody's if somebody's in the middle, they're in the middle, right? Um, yeah. I think maybe HTTPS would. I, I think uh, can defeat that because they wouldn't be able to inject the uh, right um, into the into the uh, HTTP header. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The extension. Right. right. Unless so. they unless they were impersonating the SSL endpoint. Yes, but you've got to have certificates installed. Yes, to right. Get around that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so actually, um, uh, Cloudflare, right? Uh, yep. They, you know, they offer this universal SSL service, which we're using on DGShow.org. Cloudflare is actually in a in a uniquely awesome position to inject these super cookies uh, into the two million websites that they are front ending, right? Because mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. just like an SSL proxy. Like they're already yes. in. Yeah. Sweet. I'm really glad I signed up for that service. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's see. So we've got, uh, this is, you know, we've described this so far as like, y- you have in some respects, like companies are battling the government, uh, you know, on the encryption issue. And then uh, simultaneously, often the same companies are collaborating with AT&T and Verizon to, to compromise us, right? So we've got government and corporations fighting over who gets to compromise us worse, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and uh, and so a good example of that is this uh, is this quote from uh, uh, Drew Houston, who's the uh, the Dropbox guy. Um, mm-hmm. So somebody asked him about uh, Snowden. Famously, you know, came right out and said, "Get rid of Dropbox to everybody." Um, mm-hmm. So and he they got him on the record responding to this. Um, mm-hmm. I know you found this quote, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just basically uh, um, it's a trade off between usability, uh, convenience, and security. And and he said we offer people a choice. 
right? Yeah. What? You could what? use it or you could not use it. <laughs> what is he talking about? Right. There's no choice at all. Right. Um, that's incredible. And yeah, so, and, you know, and so his whole point was like, oh, well, you know, so I guess to rewind a little bit, um, if somebody goes to Dropbox with a subpoena, um, they they could you know, be under court orders to give whatever data is on Dropbox to the government. Um, unlike something like Spider Oak, uh, which is just a binary blob that they have no visibility into the data, and it's all decrypted on the client end, and, and Spider Oak doesn't have visibility to the data. And right. what uh, uh, Drew Houston, who's the CEO of Dropbox, is saying that um, well, you know, if it, we're, we're providing people uh, more than just a, a place to uh, store your files, we're, we're adding other value-added services and plugins and, and things like that. So, for instance, like if you have, like uh, they just announced a partnership with, with Microsoft where you could do like the, the Office apps uh, on your, I guess, Android phone can look into Dropbox and, and to be able to, you know, work with things that way. But it, if it was all encrypted, um, that uh, Microsoft couldn't look at your Dropbox files and Dropbox couldn't uh, look at them and everything, then you wouldn't have that integration capability. But in many ways, I wonder if that, you know, to me, the, what Dropbox is doing is they're doing, they're trying to do a lot of value added things to prevent themselves from being commoditized. Um, but I don't really see the value in the value added things that they're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, and also, and especially for a company, you would think that a company, whose whole business is holding people's private information would be a little bit, wouldn't be so tone deaf when talking about this issue. Right. Um, and you'd think that his response would be a little bit cleaner than, uh, you know, it's a trade off between usability, convenience, and security. Uh, In other words, uh, you have no choice. You have no options. If you want to use the service, we are going to compromise your security. Um, also, you know, famously Dropbox is, uh, was on the, you know, in one of those, um, one of those Snowden documents, it talked about, you know, uh, NSA through PRISM, through the PRISM program, like having access to Dropbox accounts, right? It said, mm-hmm. like, coming soon. Um, and I presume that that was with Dropbox's cooperation. That may not be the case. But assuming that that was with Dropbox's cooperation, they're going, like, way over, way, way above and beyond what they require to, like, comply with subpoenas, right? Um, yeah. Because getting a court order to surrender data is one thing, right? And nobody, I think, can really object to it. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, volunteering uh, to basically open up a tap on the back end of your data center and feeding uh, feeding a government agency with it—that's uh, spooky, right? Uh, and something that everybody should be uh, should be opposed to, I would think. Yeah, um, and and we don't know whether they're doing that or not. But I, but I also think too that I wonder if it's sort of that that social networking sharing culture of. Uh, you know, like I, in the picture in the article, this Drew, Drew Houston guy looks like he's like 16 or something. And <laughs> and I wonder if it's it's sort of that Mark Zuckerberg sort of culture that you don't have any privacy, so just get over it sort of thing right. where, where, you know, my generation, you know, we had, uh, at least for me, it's like I'm a little bit more protective. Yeah, yeah. I, it's depressing. Um and you know, and and it's and it's double frustrating um, because tools that uh, actually do preserve your privacy, like you mentioned, Spider Oak, 
um, and you know, like Text Secure as an example on you know for uh, keeping your SMS messages secret. Um, that stuff is it's really it's rare that that stuff is easily used. Um, or it's rare that that stuff is easy to use. Um, yes, and. Uh, in fact, it almost never happens that that stuff is easy to use because the people, it's funny, like, the people who are worried about this problem are nerds uh, who like knobs and dials and, you know, getting close to the metal uh, with the software. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it is, it's unusual when uh, a privacy enhancing tool is actually ends up being, you know, something that, you know, the uninitiated could use. Um, yeah. So a good, a tech secure is a good example of a very, very, Usable SMS application. Um, they've yeah. done a great job at hiding a lot of the uh, um, a lot of the complexity. Uh, yeah, but you, you, you don't like, need to find somebody to host a key signing party to use it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, but like stuff, you know, the other file sharing applications that do preserve privacy, like Spider Oak. Um, Spider Oak is pretty easy to use, but is also still pretty intimidating, um, yeah. just in terms of like the number of options it offers. Whereas Dropbox is like. Uh, you know, it's got soft edges. It's very friendly. Um, you know, pretty intuitive to use. Um, and it's just a, it's a, it's frustrating that we can't that that dichotomy exists. Um, yep. I wish it didn't. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier about uh, you know, so you, if if I guess if if you need to land a plane by a telephone, uh, you have the option to do that, assuming they allow the FAA allows phone calls in flight. Um, <laughs> So uh, one of the other things that I saw was, uh, did you see this thing about windowless planes? I did, and I didn't completely understand what, I didn't completely understand why this was awesome until I saw the photos uh, of mm -hmm. the, or the mock-ups of it, and it looks incredible. It looks mm -hmm. just absolutely amazing. Um, so the, the idea is that basically that you turn the entire interior of the airplane into a, into a TV. Um, yes. And so you can project what's going on outside um, into the cabin, giving the effect of a glass plane, basically. Yes. Assuming so. that works. And assuming <laughs> I want that, you know, like, it's bad enough when you're next to the, like, you know, uh, you know, like people that are annoying or whatever, and or you just want to, like, close your eyes and sleep. But now you are, so, so you get people that are, uh, claustrophobic right so now now you take the windows out of the plane and and you basically put them in this flying casket um, <laughs> and then, and then you for the people that are afraid of flying you're projecting the sky all around them and you're flying around so it's like yeah 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 well it, you know it's funny in the mock-ups they showed that what was being projected onto these uh, onto these screens was uh was you know clouds and blue sky and stuff like that but uh that is you know, if this ever gets to market, that is not what's going to be projected, right? It's going to be like forest scenes or movies or, you know, it's, they're going to start playing with it, you know, to make the environment quote unquote more pleasant, you know, just like putting like blaring televisions with CNN and ESPN in bars. Uh, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be finding advertising opportunities. You can be absolutely sure. Oh, of yeah. that. Um, Content role, uh, context relative ads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, it, <laughs> They're going to go through all this time, and they're going to spend uh, all this money uh, putting these, you know, very sophisticated video screens inside the interior of this airplane, and it will still not take away from the fact that an airplane is, at heart, just a metal tube full of long pigs. Yep. Yeah, and and I guess the whole, you know, I was even wondering, it's like, why are they even doing this? I mean, isn't air travel bad enough that 
now now you're taking the windows away and and i guess the reason for it is that um if you could take the windows out that can help reduce weight you would be able to have um i guess a thinner fuselage that is structurally more sound because you don't have to accommodate for the windows um and which leads to uh as what they say is is you could have more uh room and you know more width you know in your seat and all that which may be nice for um uh for you know for people that are wider um or when you're sitting next to people that are wider um but i i still i can't imagine this taking off because like the u.s airways planes that i'm flying in now are probably older than me and you know so by the time they get refreshed it'll be i'll be retired well, but also, also like I love how they're like, oh, we can, you know, create, you know, more space for bigger seats, like horse hockey. Like, if you have mm-hmm. more space, you're going to put in more seats, right? It's not going to be. Yes. Like, oh yeah. Like, yeah. Like, let's let's just dispense with the with this with this um, <laughs> this charade that you know they're going to create roomier seats. Forget it. Yeah. Um, instead of uh, three and three, it'll be three and four or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god, just terrible. What. Uh, this is this is sad. Like the state of air travel, where they're like, no, we're gonna actually create a transparent plane. Like if I was eight years old, that would be extremely awesome. Um, but now if that you're I'm tired flying, and you're flying home on a Friday <laughs> night, like right. me, in a few hours, I just <laughs> yeah. I just want to be left alone. I want the virtual reality helmet that is just is, that's turned off. <laughs> right, right. And going back to the last episode, like again, like the airline industry conspiring to convince its customers that it is that they are not consuming the product they paid for. <laughs> like <laughs> just amazing. All right. Um got some good news though, don't we, Dave? Yeah, kinda. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. uh so so uh Facebook is joining the dark web. I love it. I love it. Yep. Yeah. It's, I, I really do, you know, I slag on Facebook a lot, um, but I am actually impressed with, with this. Um, it's problematic, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a second. But, um, yeah, Facebook created basically Tor endpoints um, so that you can use Tor uh, to access Facebook services, um, yeah. which is excellent. Yeah, and I, I thought, well, what's a big deal? Because, um, you know, why, why, you know, and, and so I don't use Tor and I also don't use Facebook. Um, but I guess if you use regular old Facebook through Tor, it doesn't work because the, it trips over um, all the security and, and intrusion mechanisms that Facebook has on the server side. Because you think about it, like Tor, you know, your your packet requests are coming from all over the place, and if all of a sudden uh, Facebook is getting server requests for Gunner, and all of a sudden Gunner's in uh, South Africa, Norway. Ohio, all over the place, it's going to trip all kind of alarms and and shut that connection down. And so what they did is they created explicit endpoints for you to connect to your web browser and using Tor um, that that bypasses those safeguards. Right. Um, but of course, the the punchline here is that this is Facebook, right? So mm-hmm. once you've successfully navigated uh, whatever kind of intrusive government or corporate surveillance you're trying to get around, uh, you then are able to open the door, get into Facebook, uh, who promptly collects all of your personal information. Yeah. Well, unless you do an anonymous login. <laughs> right. right. Like we talked about in the last episode. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the quote unquote anonymous login. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, I, there's a tour story I could tell you. Um, okay. So this, so, uh, last year doing, uh, Sitting in with the the kids on Lawrence uh, Robotics team, 
Um, one of the lead programmers, uh, she brought her laptop up and, and was showing the girls how they're writing code and, and showing different stuff on, on her computer. She has a Mac. And one of the icons there was Tor. And I'm like... And so you called the FBI because obviously yeah, he's a terrorist. Yeah, crafty terrorist. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I'm like, what, what? wait a minute, you're a high school senior. What do you run in Tor for? And she said that, oh, yeah, I really don't run Tor anymore, but I used to have to run it um, because um, that was the only way I could get through the school's firewall to get to Tumblr. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. I like, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, that's pretty amazing that it's like, you know, that uh, you, you have, uh, um, and I'm sure it's like, you know, she probably found that out from other people or whatever, but it's, it's amazing that, that, you know, even high school kids uh, find a use for that. But, but yeah. now with her school, it's like, they don't, they don't bother blocking it. And it's more of an acceptable use policy that an honor code sort of thing. Right, right. But uh, no, but, uh, but I, I like that story because, you know, when we talk about encryption and we talk about privacy and security and all the rest of it, you know, the, your mind naturally goes to like Jack Bauer, 24, high stakes, you know, government secrets and terrorism and, you know, oppressive regimes and stuff like that. But, you know, for a lot of folks, this is a, like just much more prosaic problem to solve, right? Like I want to yeah. get to Tumblr um, or I don't want my company to read my email, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, I like that. That's great. All right. Um, so, Dave, when was the last time you did a password audit? Every month. Good for you. Good for yep. you. I, I, I need to get back on my audit schedule. I need to get back yeah. on my audit schedule. So I'll tell you how I do it. Um, set up a reminder and remember the milk, a uh, monthly reminder. So the, like the first Saturday of every month, it's my password audit day. And, uh, one of the, and so I switched over to using LastPass. So friend of the show, Robin Price, turned me on to that and uh, using LastPass. And one of the things that I don't know about 1Password, but they have uh, LastPass has a password audit tool where it, it, they sort of gamify it, where they show you how you rank relative to everybody else and all that. And, it's, it, and so you could see improvement over time of you and then how you rate against everybody else. Um, but what I typically do is I don't spend a lot of time doing the audit from top to bottom, um, but I typically, what it'll do is that the report will give me a list of all of the sites from like weakest passwords to strongest passwords. And so what I would do is like every month I would knock out like 10 sites and I would change the password from some old crappy password that I used to have to something that was more generated and, and uh, you know, that has all the crazy characters in it and mm-hmm. do that, you know, and I think I have about what, a hundred, probably about 200 passwords for the different sites that I have. And, you know, over, you know, do 10, 20 a month, um, over the course of a year, you could, you could knock out most of the, the really uh, egregious ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Okay. No, that's a good, th- no, that's a good system to have. Um, and in, in, so I use one password and mm-hmm. that, uh, that, uh, allows me to create smart folders uh, for passwords of different ages. Um, mm. So I can say, you know, more than a year old, more than six months old, and so forth, uh, which makes it really easy to go through and, and, and do the Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that exists. I, 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 I'll have to see if there's something like that on, on um, LastPass. Maybe Robin knows and can report back to us. So what drives me crazy, though, is that whenever you go to, like, I'll get a, a site that has a terrible password in it, 
And I go to, it's like, all right, I'm going to straighten this out and I'm going to update it. And what will happen is that the password strength on the site is really weak. And it, it just kills me. Like a lot of times, oh, you can't use numbers or special characters or stuff. And it's like, okay, that's mostly fine. But there are certain sites um, that it's like, uh, like one that is like uh, International Hotel Group. Um, you know, also known as like the Holiday Inn people, um, for their awards account, it's a f uh, a four digit number. Yeah, yeah. No letters, n not not five numbers, not seven numbers. It's four. so you have what a one in ten thousand chance of guessing right. Um, Pretty good odds. Pretty good odds. Yeah, yeah. And and I just saw too that uh, and that was killing me, but. Uh, um, I found that uh, the Hilton Honors, so for a lot of our Road Warrior friends that are out there, if you're a Hilton Honors member, um, I, there, there have been, they haven't confirmed it, um, but there's been a lot of news reports about them getting hacked and getting their um, frequent flyer miles cleaned out of their account and then resold for like pennies on the dollar. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted. Like the... And I get well. I, I suppose a lot of this depends on. So first of all, like four-digit passwords, that's ridiculous. Um, it's ridiculous that that's what's on an ATM thing, and it's mm -hmm. uh, especially ridiculous when it basically costs. You know, it's not like bits. It's not like it's not like adding four more bits or even twenty more bits costs international uh, intercontinental hotel group money, right? Um, right? It's you know, it's like it's a completely arbitrary, and I'm sure they're doing it for like usability purposes right like how oh, people keep you know we can't be bothered to do password reset emails or maybe like password reset emails for them are like very expensive to do maybe uh i mean whatever i mean it was a completely misguided attempt to make things easier to use uh i wonder how easy it is for them to refund all those people all those points um yes. i wonder if they're i wonder if they're now regretting um infantilizing their users like that yeah yeah yep yeah nice yeah fun. Not fun, uh, but did you, you had a you had a you had a, a now in legitimately better news. Um, yeah, let's. Um, you had, so, boy, we're bumming yeah. everybody out. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, you had you had a great session with uh, Oak Ridge, uh, not yeah. the Oak Ridge Boys, but the National Laboratory. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you know we talked about it in the last episode uh, with the webinar um, that I did with GovLoop uh, with uh, Jason Kinsel from Oak Ridge National Laboratory. So we talked about. Um, how they worked with us to deploy OpenStack in their place. So it was one of those things that um, it, it's not like your classic, you know, what is OpenStack and you go through, oh, this is Neutron, this is Glance and everything. It's more of uh, a higher level discussion of, you know, well, you got all this open source stuff and, and things especially like uh, OpenStack that moves very, very quickly. How can partnering with industry uh, help you satisfy your mission without having to do all this stuff yourself? Cool, cool. And so, and uh, so, was this? This is recorded. Can folks yep. go, like see it on YouTube or something? Um, it's it was recorded. I'll put a link to the the on demand replay so if people want to check it out. So it's a really cool story to hear about how what 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 Oak Ridge is doing with uh, with OpenStack, uh, rel OpenStack platform specifically. So it's a really good conversation. Right on. Oh, that's great. So if you're if you're a fan of if you're a fan of the Dave and Gunner show sort of format of more of a, um, almost like an interview uh, sort of thing. It's it's sort of that sort of format. Excellent. 
Okay, right on. Oh, speaking of OpenStack, uh, the November 2014 user survey came out from the OpenStack Foundation. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't pay very close attention to this stuff, but I had occasion to read over it this time. And I just realized, you know, going down the list of responses on like, what are you using for the compute? What are you using for network? What are you using for storage? And so on and so on. Um, I just saw that, I just realized that, you know, we say that we're like, you know, in the top, one of the top contributors to OpenStack, which is great, and we are. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't realize what that meant, though, until I saw this survey where you saw, like, what what virtualization system are you using? What uh, networking infrastructure are you using? What storage infrastructure are you using? And in every case, um, we, own, we, Red Hat, like, either maintains or contributes heavily to every single one of those projects. Um, wow. So, you know, storage, as an example, uh, you know, they listed, so people using Gluster for storage or using Ceph for storage or using LVM for storage. Well, Red Hat uh, basically owns and operates all three of those projects, right? Mm. Um, and it just made me realize like, exactly not only how involved we are in OpenStack, but also how reliant OpenStack is on the underlying operating system. Um, yeah, I was, just, I was just blown away. I was really, I was really impressed. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'll include a link to that in the uh, in the show notes. And then, uh, David. So, Dave, moving into the uh, lessons learned a little bit, um, I'm going to read you from I'm going to read to you from this uh, this internal support ticket uh, that came across my inbox. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is somebody from like our business units, like up in Westford, talking. Right. Uh, it says, "quote unquote." VPAT is public sector specific, and therefore all previous cases have been resolved successfully by referring to Gunner. Nice. Which is nice. nice. Uh, well, kind of nice, right? Like, so not first of all, for you. Yeah. not for me, right? <laughs> like, so <laughs> it's always, you know, it's always nice to be uh, needed, and it's always nice to be uh, popular enough that people can refer to you uh, by just your first name, uh, yes. a little bit like Bono or Cher. So that's nice. Mm -hmm. But yeah. um, uh, being. Uh, kind of the hero in a particular situation is like rarely serves anyone well um, and certainly not the quote unquote hero, right? Um, so in this case, uh, you know, getting a section 508 VPAT sorted out for a particular product um, shouldn't hinge on me, right? Yes. Uh, and so the, like I saw this thing and while initially I was flattered, uh, I immediately like flagged it as like, this is, this is a bad situation, right? If, yes. if, if the solution to anything public sector specific is to go talk to Gunner, like something is profoundly broken in the in the process. So it made me realize that I had like a lot of work to do. But anyway, I bring it up as like an anti-pattern um, yeah. where, uh, you know, through, you, you go through your day, uh, people thank you for your work and that's great. Um, but if you ever find yourself in a position where people acknowledge that you are like the sole source of truth for something, um, okay. definitely go out and fix that um, because yeah. you don't want that kind of responsibility, right? <laughs> Yeah, like there's probably somebody in Raleigh uh, in the tower making a business rule right now to just, you know, anything with EPAT gets wired to you and enclosed. And, and right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, anyway, and so kind of related to that, I, uh, I ran across Ben Balter, um, who, in addition to being a lawyer and uh, the kind of GitHub evangelist uh, in mm -hmm. government, um, is also a uh, phenomenal writer. Um, and he has just been churning out uh, blog posts on the topics of kind of government productivity, IT, open source, uh, just at a really intimidating rate. Um, his most recent post was a post that he actually published for GitHub internally, which was uh, basically it was a guide to how to communicate in GitHub. Mm -hmm. um, but the but of course 
because uh, because the principles are sound, they apply even when you're not talking about GitHub tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I really appreciated about about this guide that he wrote is how is his focus on uh, respect for the person that you're communicating with and uh, and, and focusing specifically on respecting their time and attention. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that really, uh, one thing that got me was uh, he mentioned uh, the phenomena of hitting somebody up on uh, IRC or on instant messaging and saying ping. Oh, um, naked pings. I hate naked pings. So I don't like naked pings either, um, but I couldn't articulate exactly why. Uh, but he articulated it in a really nice way, which was when you ping somebody, you are using an asynchronous messaging system, right? Uh, instant message, email, what have you. The whole purpose of an, of an asynchronous messaging system is that you can ask a question and then wait four hours before a response comes back, right? Yes. Um, and when you are, uh, when you're pinging somebody, you are setting the expectation that this asynchronous messaging system is actually synchronous. In other words, it's like a phone call, right? Yes. So Dave, you, you've had this thing of you get into a chat storm with somebody, right? You're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then you step away to go make dinner or do something else. And then the person goes, Hey, where'd you go? Yes. Like, why, why, why don't you come back? Or, you know, or you're polite and you say, Hey, excuse me, I got to go do something else. Um, that's, the way he characterizes it is like, that's like an abuse of the system. Like if you wanted to do synchronous work, you would be on a video call or you would be on the phone. Um, the, you know, you're using an asynchronous tool, so you should treat it like an asynchronous tool and not have the expectation that somebody's going to reply to you right away. Um, I I really like that. Anyway, so the the whole, the whole post is, is filled with, uh, with useful tips like that. Um, so I recommend everybody, everybody read it. So the other side of that would be like, if somebody didn't do a naked ping to you, and say they they put basically instead of an email message they they give you the whole thing in the message that comes in um, so instead of ping to get your attention they say hey where's the vpat for blah 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 or whatever um, and then they don't hear a reply right away then they they have to either wait for your reply and they don't know if you're sitting there and when you're going to come back and is it like one minute is it two hours is it three days or the other side of it is you come back to your desk after making dinner and you saw that somebody asked you that question um, and and you haven't answered it for two hours. So should you answer it or should that person have said uh, after two hours, never mind, I found the answer, no need to reply. So you're not spending cycles answering something that they already asked somebody else for. Right, right, right. And and I think the you bring up a great point, which is, Uh, having your own so it's very context dependent right it depends on the person you're talking to it depends on the time of day it depends on what else is going on um uh, an instant message from you as an example at 8 p.m at night i'm going to treat differently than an instant message from somebody i've never met right yeah Um, or somebody asking for a v-pad at eight at night (laughs) exactly yeah that's right um so but 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 this gets to the a point which I think Ben makes, uh, which is like having norms for the stuff, right? And not just having them be implicit, but be like explicit about it. Um, you know, if uh, uh, like the relationship I have between you and I is going to be different than the relationship I have uh, with uh, you know a project manager somewhere. Um, yes. And 
so letting them know, you know, when you when you engage with somebody on a particular piece of work, um, okay, well, you know, if you really need me, you know, please get me on the phone. That's the fastest way to get me. Or send me a text message or whatever it is. And you send me a text message, I'll reply, you know, as soon as I can. Send me an email, and, and that way I know I can, you know, re respond to you in a couple of days. Um, but just like setting that expectation at the outset is, you know, obviously really. Uh, really important. And then the other side of that is that when there is no expectation, don't assume one, right? Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you haven't set up an SLA with somebody, so to speak, um, don't, don't get miffed if they don't reply to you right away. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the other interesting thing too, and, and this is kind of related is, and I forget if we talked about this on the show, but, um, where I schedule sending email messages. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and, right. So, and so, so they all go out at like 2.30 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, so everybody knows how productive you are, right? Exactly. No, <laughs> no. So what, you know, this is one of the things that it's like I, I sort of do unto others, right? So at 7.30 p.m. on a Friday night, I don't want to, if I send somebody an email, I don't want them to feel obligated that they need to reply on Friday night or Saturday or spend the weekend working on something. When it's something that it's like I, I don't want to have them take weekend time to do it. And so a lot of times I would actually schedule it for 7.30 a.m. on Monday. And so this has two benefits. Um, one is, well, actually three benefits. One, I'm not having them spend time on the weekend um, and, and, you know, and wasting their time um, over the weekend when they're, they're doing family time. Um, and number two, the, the other benefit is they don't have to do it over the weekend. Number three is that... Um, if it shows up at 7.30 a.m. on a Monday, it's probably one of the first things they see in their inbox uh, whenever they log in on Monday. So a lot of times that that gets addressed a lot faster than somebody that like checked out for the weekend. And that Friday email is message you know, 300 in, in the pile of things that they have to sift through. That's great. That's great. That's a really good idea. That's a really good yeah. idea. But unfortunately, uh, Gmail does not have a tool to schedule email. I think there's like a third-party plugin you could buy to do that. But um, but I know Zimbra does. Uh, Gmail does not. Okay. Um, so to wrap all this up a little bit, and actually maybe these maybe maybe I can actually connect both these threads. So uh, we talked about kind of respecting people's time and attention, right? And then we also talked about this like encryption farce slash catastrophe. Um, mm -hmm. So putting these two, two things together, the EFF just put out a guide to avoiding surveillance. What's great about this guide is not just the content, um, which is very approachable and very readable, and even the uninitiated uh, should be able to get something from it. Uh, it's also in the way that it's organized, which is as a series of articles, uh, which they've organized into what they call like playlists uh, based on particular I guess like user stories or particular problem sets, right? So if you are a if you are in an oppressive regime and are trying to get out to the real internet, um, here is a set of story or here's a set of articles that you are going to want to read. If you are a journalist trying to protect a source, here's the set of articles that you need to read. Um, anyway, I thought that was just really yeah. clever and also like very considerate, right? Um, so. Uh, like what a great use of a digital medium, right? And so instead of treating this like a book where you got to like stuff it full of every possible contingency, um, yes. allowing like allowing the stuff to get kind of remixed uh, based on the person that's reading it. I thought it was, it was really great. It's clever. Yeah. Yeah. What if you're the high school student that's trying to get the Tumblr? Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or that you're, what if you're a crafty terrorist? Um, <laughs> crafty terrorist. Yeah. Click. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, somebody's tracking that, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Dave. Well, it's a good show. That was good. That was a good conversation. Um, if, uh, if folks want links to some of the stuff that we talked about uh, today, if they want to learn how to uh, get around their high school firewall and uh, get into Tumblr, what, uh, where, where can they go? They want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Excellent. Um, thanks again, Dave. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank you.